You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. We, need, we as Christians, we need to start opening our mouths. And it says that he who believes on the Son has life, and he that does not believe um, does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things God did to me was give me peace. Give me a hope. Give me a promise. And I thought, I have eternal life. I'm I'm bound for heaven and it's it's forever. I'm Mark Dana and I'm Venus Cote and this is Hope to the Nations. I'm here at Arrowhead with Art Wanick and we were just sitting down and we were just talking and I was just going to ask uh, you a few questions Art about your story. Uh, Venus Cody is not here today, so I'm like 50% of the team here. I mean, there's, it's it's good to be here. And uh, Art, I, uh, I got to say that you and I worked together at camp, and I s- discovered your uh, engineering skills, and uh, and I know that you're involved in that kind of thing. You're involved in the, what is electrical engineering? Not design. Really, not not engineering per se, design. And you're actually from up north, right? Uh, originally, my family came from a little community or uh, in northern Alberta called Pile Prairie, which used to be about nine hours north of Edmonton, but now it's about seven. Not that Edmonton moved or Pile Prairie moved, but the highways improved, and so uh, I think it's a it's a faster drive now. People drive faster. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were, I think just last, was two summers ago, we were up in that area. We drove close to that Paddle in, Prairie. In La Crete, yeah. Yeah, in La Crete. Where all the fires were last, so just passed. It was there. at that time, wasn't it? It would be different now if we went again, yes. So when were the, when's the last time you were up there? When we were there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I don't find my way to northern Alberta that often. Yeah. I do go to Edmonton a lot because that's where my my family uh, are residing and they have their families in and around Edmonton, so we do go there a couple times a year, generally. That's that's great. Uh, I guess I, I hate to say this, but I saw on Facebook that uh, <laughs> you were up, you were having a, a goose feast? Uh, yeah, this was, was on Thanksgiving. There's oh. a, a, a native ministry in eastern eastern east toronto i live in in west of toronto in mississauga and so there's some missionaries there who mission to native people in the gta and uh each thanksgiving they have a, a, a goose uh cookout in the park and everybody's welcome to come and so uh we took some people along with us and so we like to introduce people to that uh it's 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 a good time for fellowship and stuff and a meeting for me, meeting other native people. It's hard to find native people in the GTA. There's supposed to be 65 odd thousand native people there, but it's squished into 6 million people. It's hard to find, you know, unlike other 
ethnic groups, native people don't congregate. We have Little Italy, we have, you know, uh, Chinatown, we have, uh, you know, the, the East Indians, all those different communities mm-hmm. kind of form little areas in and around themselves, but native people, don't, we don't do that. It's more scattered. And we're, we're more scattered, so we're hard to find. Anyway, so I get this opportunity at least once a year to go do that. So we do try to partake in that uh, when we can. So is it good? It was delicious. Uh, <laughs> I, I personally don't like goose too much cooked in the oven, but when it's over the fire, yeah. all the grease comes off of it and the meat is so good then. I found, so, yeah, I found that yeah. the, like people are talking about goose, how dry it is and how, you know, it's tough and everything, but uh, I've had it cook like you were describing where it spins. It's hanging on a string. Yeah. yeah. My job was to spin the goose so they don't, they don't burn. (laughs) And the the flavor was just great and it, it it was really, really good. So I couldn't say, you know, that goose is drier, you know, I say it's really good, especially if you cook it right. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything, if it's done right, it's uh, quite palatable. So yeah, it was very enjoyable. Thank you. So growing, uh, growing up in Paddle Prairie, did did they hunt goose there? They did, but everything else, yeah, uh, bear and moose and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've I've actually never really grew up with deer so much. People in southern Ontario have deer as the main uh, hunting thing, but there's there's it's I don't like the taste of deer so much. I like moose meat. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I think that's an acquired taste. Uh, all of my friends in town love fishing. I, I, I never fished when I was a kid, so it wasn't, wasn't part of my, uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So growing up in Paddle, uh, Prairie, what are some of your earliest memories of that? Well, I didn't really grow up there. I started life there. We moved yep. to Edmonton while I was quite young, so I really grew up in Edmonton, although I do have many memories of, of life in Paddle Prairie was a lot different than, than city kids. We, you know, we, we rode horseback, we shot slingshots at everything that was alive. When we were a (laughs) hunter gatherer community, so we were learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to trap muskrats and I was shooting shotguns in 22s and I was six years old. Did you eat the muskrat? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's good, huh? It was, it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't differentiate it from anything else. Mm-hmm, I didn't exactly. like beaver tail. Beaver tail was, <laughs> but yeah, all the other stuff, it was, it was fine. Uh, but we never, like I said, we never really knew anything different. That was our way of life. That was what we did. Uh, yeah, exactly. Then you moved to what age, what age did you move to Edmonton? I was really young. I was about eight years old when we went to Edmonton and, uh, Life became different there. Living in a city is different from the country, and so I was raised in in Edmonton. Uh, what the biggest thing that changed, I think, over the course of several decades after we got uh, to Edmonton was we got introduced to all these different Native people that we weren't used to coming from up north. We were a Métis community, mm-hmm. and, you know, that incorporated fiddle music and jigging and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. And then when we moved to Edmonton and met the, the native people around there, they were different. They, they had powwows and sweat lodges and all of these things that kind of got introduced into our family. And so for, by and large, the majority of my family has sort of migrated into that type of culture. 
Oh, to varying degrees. So those were mostly Cree people or it was a mixture? Yeah, Plains Cree mostly. Yeah. That would be, if I spoke a language, that would be it. Plains Cree, that was what we spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I lived in Toronto since 1984, so. Uh, what did they speak in Toronto? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've spoken English most of my life, but I'm not real <laughs> good at it, <laughs> even now. So. <laughs> so Plains Cree, I do, you know, when I go back home and speak to my sisters, it's uh, uh, they kind of laugh at my pronunciations. But after a couple of days, it actually does come back. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe you never forget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's great that you have those memories growing up. And when you moved to Edmonton, though, did it, was it a time, a hard time for you? Like, obviously you couldn't bring your slingshot with you or that would pose problems. Uh, no, we, I, I still have a slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <coughs> uh, I don't know that it posed any particular problem. Uh, there was... Now we're talking in the late sixties when we moved to Edmonton and there was a fair amount of what you'd call racism. Uh, and so I experienced that as a, a young Métis, uh, boy and man in that environment where it was not unusual to get stopped by the police and questioned. And, you know, even though I was with my white friends, if you will. You know, they would protest, well, how come you're not asking us for ID? Well, the police said, get out of here. Just you. Is that right? Yeah. And oh. so that happened on a few okay. occasions, which was pretty intimidating, you know, as a high school kid. Be embarrassing to too, be, uh, I think. Or maybe. I wasn't really embarrassed. It was, it was the other way. <laughs> it was more uh, kind of frustrating, I suppose, yeah. because it didn't happen just once. Uh, so I guess some of the other experiences, uh, when I was looking for work, in the newspaper, you'd phone and answering an ad. And they said, good, when can you start? Uh, why, come down today and fill out the forms. And I'd come in, they oh, oh, uh, you know what? The job's been filled. Just so, like that. So I heard that quite a few times. So those types of things were more or less bothersome, but it affects people differently, I suppose. So that was kind of the environment I came in. There was not a lot of immigration in those days. So native people, if you wanted to hate somebody, that was kind of us, that we were it. But now with, you know, now with so much immigration into Canada, you have a cornucopia of who you want to hate. You can pick and choose now. Mm. But back then it was just us. And so things, I don't think that has gone away. It's just been sort of watered down. But in Toronto, Toronto is the most cosmopolitan city in the world. And nobody cares who you are, what you look like. If you have something I need, we make a deal and off you go. And so when I moved, like when I was in Edmonton, there was never a day would go by that I did not know I was native. And then when I moved to Toronto in 1984, there has never been a day there I knew I was native. Okay. Nobody cared. And that was for me, that was a hugely positive growing experience. Um, So racism... Um, this is a very, it's an unpleasant topic. Um, you have faith in God, right? You have, mm-hmm. you have a faith in God. Well, what would you say to somebody about that topic of racism from your point of view, your, your, uh, perspective? If I could change your maybe terminology a bit, Mark, I, sure. I'm not actually sure racism exists. Okay. 
Oh, that's a uh, statement. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the way I see it, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, let's say. It's, it's how you carry yourself and how you present yourself. If I was the, uh, what would be called the prototypical drunken Indian, if you will, which is much more prominent, I guess, in Western Canada, most people in, in Toronto wouldn't understand that terminology because they don't have the picture yeah. in their mind, but in Western Canada, and maybe in Eastern Canada, they might too understand that. But if you look at the typical, if I was, if I was a drunken native man on the street, I would be handled a certain way. If, if there was a drunken white man on the street, he would be handled a certain way. If there was a drunken black man on the street, he would be handled a certain way. Now, if you take that same native man, that same white man, and that same black man, and you put them in a three-piece suit, and they walk down the street with a briefcase under their arm, they would all three be handled a different way and exactly the same way. So if we would handle all those three guys laying on the street the same way, and then we accord them a certain amount of respect and attention with how they present themselves and how they carry themselves, I think that's true because I've experienced that at many different levels and in many different environments. And so if I'm the drunk on the street and I get what you would call racism, the police mm -hmm. would deal with me a certain way. If I was in a three-piece suit with a briefcase, the police would handle me in a totally different way. So when you look at that, if you look at the white man, the black man, and the, the native man, and you, you look at them on the street, then you look at them in the three-piece suit, it's not really racism. We use that term, but that's not what it is. Nobody yeah. really cares what color your skin is. It's how you carry yourself, how you present yourself. So it's really, I guess if you need a picture, it would be more like what they do in India with a caste system, where yeah. people are slotted in certain areas and they can't change. Well, here we would, we, we treat it like that, but we flow in and out of those levels based on how we present ourselves. So different so, standards, in other words. We all play that game. Everybody in, in North America plays that game. And we, and so we use the term racism, but it's, it has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with class. I, I get, I get you on that. And at the same time, like, uh, I think races can be a part of it because it's, for instance, if I'm a part of a race, they look at me, I am part of a race, but they look at me they either think I am like the other ones or I, I'm not. And then I have to prove myself like, oh, I'm not like, or. So are you talking within a certain race? So um, native to native, if you will? That could be native to native, could be uh, like French to English. It could be, uh, you name it. Like if I've, I've got a, a name that identifies myself as associated with this group and that somebody doesn't like that group. All right, then the burden is on me with that person to prove that I am different than those people that they think they don't like because of such and such. Well, I guess I'm just saying this to say what racism, I believe, is part of being ethnocentric. That's another word there. Yeah. Um, so that people please us. And If I remember from my childhood in northern Alberta, and the comments that the adults were making of the neighboring tribes, mm -hmm. 
in in northern Alberta, I think it's unusual there because we were told at La Crete that there's five different tribes within a very small geographical area there. Yes. And uh, as far as I understand, we all hated each other. And or so at least you didn't re- seem to respect each other. We didn't respect each other at all. And I think that may have been from the recent history where where we fought against each other. And so that might have been a carryover. Uh, you know, we're not so yeah. so long out of the bush as people think. My mother, my mother's birth certificate said she was born in a tent in the woods. Your mother? My mother. And that's, that's so that's how far removed we're, we are from that, which is not at all. And so yeah. we're, so those, those historical tendencies might still be there. Whereas we have no real cause to hate a black man or a, or a white man specifically, but with, with other native people, we have cause. And so maybe internally within that racial group or ethnos group, uh, maybe that's where that comes from. My, we have, uh, my wife, Joan and I have five sons and we've adopted two, two females, two girls. Mm -hmm. And so our, our, one of our daughters, her father is Jamaican, her mother is native. And so, and she, she displays all the characteristics of a black woman. She's got the frizzy hair and the dark skin and, and all of that stuff. Uh, ironically, the only prejudicial feeling she's ever got her treatment was from other black people. When she went to high school, uh, she got rejected by the black kids because she didn't act like they expected her to act. She was raised in essentially a Caucasian home, so she had no idea what being black meant. Uh, to us, we don't really, in our family, we don't really see color. We've been sort of been blessed in that we've had people from all around the world at our table because in high school we had people from all over the world. And so you know, our kids were just great. used to that. Yep. And uh, anyway, so when she went to high school, the black kids expected her to act a certain way. And she, she just didn't understand that, couldn't act that way, and they rejected her. She ended up with a bunch of Asian kids, actually. The black kids called her an Oreo. They said, you're black on the outside, but you're white on the inside. And <laughs> she just didn't have the type of attitude yeah. they had. And then on the subway one day, she was coming home, and some large black man was standing beside her, and he says, He's, you know, what are you? She said, what? What are you? Well, I'm, I'm part native, I'm part black. You're a half-breed. I hate half-breeds. And like that terrified her. Uh, so, so that's the kind of thing I mean, where people expect something out of you. And, and as soon as you don't fit the, the mold, they, they reject you. And so that's what I, what I mean about, about that sort of. So I think we've kind of painted the picture well of the way that the reality of people's treatment of one another and that kind of thing. How would you think God looks at that? How would he address those aspects? What would be your perspective? Which part? (laughs) Of how we treat one another, I guess. And, you know, what the fact that we want other people to meet our expectations. I, uh, okay, that's, I'll have to think about that. Maybe something will come as they speak here. Uh, My family are sort of fiercely native, whatever that means. Um, that's my brother's sisters, that type of stuff. My, mm-hmm. my children, uh, their mother is, uh, part Hungarian, part English. I'm a few different types of native and got some white blood in there as well. 
Uh, but they all self-identify as Métis. Uh, I'm not sure why none of them identify as, you know, with my wife's side, but they all self-identify as, as Native or Métis. Uh, so, but they've been raised in the GTA, in the Greater Toronto Area, in a mm-hmm. white environment. They don't understand anything about, about racism, if you will, having never experienced anything like that. Um, and we really, in our family anyway, we don't really have any hold to any particular culture. So you're asking, how would God look at this or how would God look at that? My, as I said, my family are fiercely native and they, they would sort of take that over everything else. For us and our family, uh, being Christian, uh, we prefer to be identified with, with God and, and, uh, we don't, realistically, we don't see color. So I think God, when God looks at us, he doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart and where are you? Are you there or are you not there? So I guess that's how, how on a personal level, we would, what we would think God would, how God would see us is that we're either in the family of God, children of God, or, or we're not. And so there's, there's only two types of identities. There's in Adam or in Christ. And so we would see ourselves in Adam, whereas most of my family would see themselves, I'm sorry, we would see ourselves in Christ, where most of my family would see themselves in, in Adam. And they're fiercely protective of that. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. Well, I mean, we're just here discussing it. And it's hard to, it's such a, you know, like a big subject and it's very emotional as well. Like it's not, it's not something we can just figure out and say, oh, okay, we got that done. Um, one thing that really means a lot to me is that w- in the God's word, it says we're made in God's image, right? That means everybody in humanity, every person is made in God's image. So that gives that person dignity and worth, value. At the same time, I, I could say that society in general like or mankind has a tendency of treating other people less than that value it depends on who it is right or what it is or um so i see that difference there of how god looks at humanity and how like you said your family would say okay well we are this is our identity and it's kind of a, it's a human identity. And uh, there's worth and value in that because everyone's made in the image of God. But when it comes to between us, then we have to, we say, well, I don't, that group there, not sure, this group. So we're, we're, I guess we're just, we're the ones that judge, right? And I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I understand the depth of that question. We're the ones that judge. So are, what are we judging? Are we judging the condition of a person's heart? Is that what you're saying? Are they saved? Are they not saved? Are they in the family of God? Are they not in the family of God? Is that what you No, mean? I'm trying to say that we're saying to some people, well, they don't, like, you don't, uh, you don't measure up to what I think. Like, if you're a black person, you should act like and identify as a black person. You should be on completely on my side. If you're not, there's something wrong with you. you you've got to choose. Like, you're making that person choose. Right, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I've that's, been describing, Yeah, I guess. exactly. So, I don't think that God looks at us that way. 
Right. And I think he puts great value on us. And you mentioned that you take value in the fact that you're in Christ. How did you come to that? <laughs> How did you come oh, to that? Well, that's, uh, that's actually a, a, my, my journey, if you will. Uh, my family was uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. in the little village. And uh, so that was kind of the upbringing we had. Mm-hmm. We went to church on Sundays and we prayed the rosary all the time. And uh, different from most families, I think, my mother spent a lot of time reading the Bible to us. And so that was something that okay. is not common from what I understand. Um, so I was kind of raised with that. So I knew a lot of the Bible stories. Uh, Christianity is one thing. Catholicism is something totally different. Uh, there's a lot of comfort in Catholicism because they take they take the work of getting to heaven, if you will, away from you. That's all on them. You come and you confess your sins to them. They give you the things to do to repent, and then your slate is clean. And the church takes care of getting you to heaven. So there's a lot of comfort in that. Um, Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. And so that's how I was raised. And then in, in, uh, I I guess, this this is my testimony, I suppose, if you will. So in grade four, I was assigned a project on dinosaurs. So I did my project on dinosaurs. And I fell in love with dinosaurs. And dinosaurs became my hobby for now, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 50 years later. Still my hobby. Uh, so I, I fell in love with dinosaurs. And all the material I covered said dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years ago. So the last dinosaur died 65 million years ago. The Bible says in the beginning God, and then describes the creation days and of all the animals and man. And according to the Bible, man and all the animals, including dinosaurs, would have lived together. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't, I couldn't get those two things to fit. And I asked the priests and I asked the teachers and I asked all the way into adulthood, I asked everybody, how does this work? Because as much as I wanted to believe in God, which I did, I really wanted to because mm-hmm. we were devout Catholics, whatever that means, you know, we we did everything we were told to because that's what you do and you live good and you go to heaven. But that didn't fulfill that hunger or need inside. It didn't satisfy. I wasn't sure God was there. Mm-hmm. Because of this, I educated myself in this evolutionary track following uh, dinosaurs, etc., And because I couldn't get any answers, I finally resolved that God wasn't true. God couldn't be true. Because academia, everything in school, all the books, everything talked about 65 million years ago. The Bible talks about a short chronology, a very young universe, and it doesn't fit. And so, because I couldn't get those two things reconciled, I kind of turned away from God for a few years, but it... It never, it never satisfied anything. And so the hunger was still there. And then in, uh, 92, 92, 93, we were not now living in Toronto. Uh, my wife who was saved earlier, but didn't say anything to me. She just prayed for me. 
Um, anyway, she said, listen, there's a, there's a talk on dinosaurs on the other end of town. Why don't you go? So I went and we, I met a man named Ken Ham and an organization called Answers in Genesis. And in probably about 35 to 45 minutes, he took those millions of years, he took the Bible and he blended them in a way that made sense. Okay. It answered all the questions. It put, it put the dinosaurs into creation like the Bible says. And what he said made, what he said made so much sense to me. And uh, so I got saved there. And uh, so I bought all the material he had <laughs> available. So that was a huge piece for you then. That the was creation. a huge piece for me. Creation evolution. And so when I, so I get my handful of books and stuff and I, I walked into the house and, uh, Joan comes up and she looks at me. We, uh, we, we lived in a split level. So I was down half a set of stairways, staircases. And she looked at me. I didn't say anything. I just walked in the door with my armful of books and she looked at me and she said, what happened to you? Really? It's like she saw there was something. I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I thought, you know what, if, uh, if evolution had me trapped like that, I bet you there's other people like me. So I took all this material that I had bought <coughs> and I found more stuff and I ingested all of that. And in 1995, I did my first talk <laughs> to a, to a, an audience and, mm -hmm. uh, it was the first time ever before an audience and it was, I was quite nervous and I probably made a gazillion mistakes, but I got enough of the message across. I got this older man stand up in there and when I was done and he said, uh, he said, young man, what you just said is so important. I will pay for you to go and tell other people. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, that was my first, uh first talk. Never did take him up on it, but I, I have continued to tell people every chance I get. And so, uh, and then that summer we went to a, uh, a family, a Christian family camp, which we had been going to. And then we met some missionaries from what was then New Tribes Mission. And they were the speakers for the week. And they were relating to us stories of being in the mission field in the third world countries with the tribal uh, people of different parts of the world. And they were talking about the spirits there and how the spirits interacted with these people. And, mm -hmm. and they were talking about this tribe in, in uh, South America. And I said, Joan, I said, he's talking about my people. And it's exactly the same spirits. If you look at the tribes from New Guinea, from South America, from Africa, North America, the, the spirits are exactly the same. So when you tell those stories, they're synonymous to everybody. Everybody recognizes them because the spirits are exactly the same and they're, they're all dark. That's amazing. That's uh, amazing to have that insight. So after everybody left, we stayed the weekend and they had time, so they stayed with us. And then they gave us some one-on-one. -on -one. And so f what they did for me was they put the creation to Christ order in, in a way that made better sense than I had. So I had just been saved, but I, it was all kind of a jumble a for me. Learning. 
and then they organized it. And so that, that helped again, give me another bit of material and, uh, yeah, it's been exciting. So how do you, do you find God in creation today? Uh, I haven't really thought about that. I, I, uh, God is always there. God is, you know, what we do is we forget that we're saved a lot of the times because when you get saved, you're not made good. And so, and people underestimate the, the evilness of our sin nature. We, we're not a slave to sin anymore. Previous to being saved, you're a slave to sin, which means sin is the king. And as a king, when a king tells you to do something, you have to do it. You don't have a choice. And so that's the condition of the human heart before salvation. And then once you get saved, he's not your king anymore. God is your king now. But that nature to be able to do that sin is still there. So it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge and that's what people forget that they're saved, uh, a lot of the times. So God calls those that put their faith in him righteous. How would you describe righteousness or being uh, right with God? Like justification, just like you never sinned kind of deal. That's, is that what you mean? That Well, I, I think thing? that, yeah, I think it touches that, doesn't it? Yeah. And, uh. Abraham uh, believed God and God counted him as righteous, right? Yeah, so when I said before you got saved, everybody has this, we're slaves to sin. We're, um, originally when Adam and Eve were, were created, uh, Adam was created from the dust of the ground and Eve came from Adam evolutionary speaking, that doesn't make sense, but (laughs) that's how God did it. And, uh, and then when they fell, when they became imperfect, uh, they were evicted from the garden and God can't associate with sin or imperfection. And so they were evicted from the garden. (coughs) Uh, Previous to that fall, there was the fall of, uh, the angelic realm, so Lucifer, I mean, that's a whole different story. Uh, Lucifer uh, fell, and out of that came the devil or the adversary, Satan. And so when he uh, tempted Adam and Eve, and they consequently fell, um, Lucifer was, he's called the god of the air, so the god of this world, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they were, they, their membership was taken from the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. And as a result, as being members of that kingdom, that's where we all come from. They're our original parents. And so we were all born into this kingdom. So we all have this list of uh, separation from God. And so when you get saved, that, that, sinless that you have gets removed. And so when you say Abraham was righteousness is accredited as righteousness, that's what that meant. All of that sin that was with Abraham was removed and in God's way 
of doing things was put in his place for us. Uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus came, uh, lived as a human being, lived a perfect life, and sin was what separated Adam and Eve, or man, from God. Jesus lived a perfect life, so he didn't sin. He didn't have that separation, so he could die for our sins. And so, having done that, he gives us a way back into, uh, back to God, if you will. So when, when Abraham, who lived before Jesus, died when it was credited to him for righteousness, that was a look forward to what Jesus was going to do. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and, uh, and when Jesus was dying, he had Mark on his mind. He had art on his mind. He had yeah. whoever's listening on his mind. Yeah, exactly. And he died for the, our sins so that we could have a choice of accepting that as a free gift mm-hmm. or not. Yep. And so that, you know, whether we do or we don't, that's, that's our choice. But the, the choice is there. The gift is there for you to take. And you chose that. Yeah, absolutely. I chose that. Uh, so it's, that was when, when my wife said, what happened to you? There was a visible change. It she, now, it didn't make me good, as I said. I, I still do all the horrible things. But I think what, when I said people forget they're saved, is people have this strange idea that if I do more good than bad, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first thing they trumpet out is, oh, I, I haven't killed anybody. But that's not part of the deal. The, the, the deal of having your sins paid for, it doesn't matter how big that sin is, whether you killed somebody or whether you stole a pen. There's still imperfections and, and no, we, none of us measure up to what God requires. And so when Jesus paid for all of those sins, all of them, he died 2,000 years ago, but he paid for all of our sins. My grandchildren, when they were born, when they live, when they sin, he paid for those too. So all of those things are paid for mm-hmm. if, if we choose to take that, but it's up to us to, to choose to take that. Uh, and um, some people would say, okay, well, you believe in a God that you say he died 2,000 years ago. Do you believe that there was a person, Jesus Christ, who lived on the earth and who actually died on a cross? Um, I think statistically there is more legal evidence to state that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected than there is to prove that, like, Abraham Lincoln was a man. So there's actual evidence? So there's historical evidence because there's so many historical documents that that corroborate that, both biblical and non-biblical sources that corroborate that, that happening, that environment there's there's almost singularly nothing else in history that is verifiable to that extent as Jesus Christ in his life and resurrection yeah there were some really faithful writers like Josephus who was a historian and yeah there there were so many yeah 
that's uh, I think that's a good thing to share with people, right? Because people if you think if, of religion and you think of you know that conflict between evolution and Christianity, but we're not really talking about that. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ and what He's done in our lives, right? Yeah, the Bible says He is the only way back to heaven, and a lot of these different isms that you have out there of different faiths, different, they predominantly all are things made up of things you have to do. And they have this kind of universal thought of all roads lead to heaven. And if I, if I live good, I'll get there. If I don't do uh, more bad than good, I'll get there eventually. Or, or with Catholics, there's a, there's a purgatory where I can pay for my sins in the interim, then I'll get there eventually. As I said, there's only two states. There's the in Christ or in Adam. So you're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. One of the two. There is no in between. So there seems like there's a lot more emphasis on God doing something for us than us actually doing something for God. Yeah, I think a lot of Christendom today is under the the misrepresentation of they teach love. Jesus was love, love community. But without an understanding of the Old Testament, without an understanding of how God deals with man, it's almost impossible to understand the gospel message if you don't understand the beginning. Like, you know, a lot of Native people, there's a lot of Native suicide, there's a lot of uh, just hard living because of the of our recent past with the residential school system and stuff, which was mo- more than a hundred years of of breaking up our families and stuff. And so, as an end result, today a lot of Native people, young and old, don't really have a, a a history, a past. They don't know where they came from. And if you don't know where you come from, or you don't know, sorry, if you don't know where you came from very quickly you don't have any reason to live. There's no reason for that. And so in as as end result, a lot of people end up, uh, like drugs, alcohol, all of that stuff is, uh, those are painful hurts as a result of not understanding who you are or where you came from. And with the Bible, it tells us, you know, who we are, where we came from, where we're going, why we're here. So all of those, those questions that, that are, inherently in each of us are answered in the Bible. So have you found that to be, has you found God to be faithful in your life? It's a, it's a growing experience uh, or a maturing. Uh, absolutely. There's, there are times when I have tested God, if you will, <laughs> not that we're supposed to, but I just had faith and uh, prayed that way, and 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 God hasn't let me down. Uh, one of the things that I use as an example of how God has blessed our family is uh, we with six children. Uh, my wife decided to ask if she could be a mom and not have to work while we had children, and that was my heart's desire, but I didn't ask her, and so she came to that to ask if she could just 
be a stay-at-home mom, which I loved. And so she, she stayed home for 21 years. We uh, raised our children in Toronto, one of the most expensive cities in the world, on one income. And, and hmm. God blessed that. And uh, our kids never, never went without. And uh, I've been able to meet some of your family, and yeah, they are wonderful, wonderful young people. Well, thank you. Yeah, you've got a great family, and that's all. Like I said, you know, to the to the glory of God. It was, certainly wasn't anything we we did, but uh, just trying to be faithful to, to what God brought before us, and just uh, depending on God. So. Yes, God is, uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't think about God 100% of the time, but as you, as you mature in your Christian walk, uh, you're just closer to God, just as you mature, as you grow. So, um, all right, I think we're going to conclude right, right now, but uh, if you had one thing you wanted to share with the listeners today, from your heart... What would that be? Okay, so uh, one thing. It's hard to limit everything to one thing, but if I guess the thing I've, I've noticed most as a, a commonality in, with Christians is that by and large, most of them, I think, don't understand the freedom in Christ. The freedom in Christ. Okay. A lot of people still live by do's and don'ts and have a checklist and stuff. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for all, yep. capital A, capital L, capital L, all our sins, the big ones, the little ones. And the Old Testament is a list of do's and don'ts. It's physical stuff. People had to do things. You do this, and God said, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And that was a deal. And the whole thing of the Old Testament, the whole thing of the Ten Commandments is to, it's basically to get you lost, to understand you can't get there. You need help. You need something. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ in the New Testament, the New Deal, a testament is a contract. It's a deal. And so the, the Old Testament was the old contract. The New Testament is the new contract. The new contract says, now that you know there's nothing you can do, I'm going to do it all for you. And so okay. the new contract is there's nothing you can do. And so Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins. God accepted that as complete payment for on my behalf, for everything. And so that means that once you accept that free gift, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. you become the, your body becomes the temple of God. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you and... It's his job to get you to heaven. If it was my job, if I had to do any part of that, I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. We've proved that. And so when the Holy Spirit came to indwell me, and it's his job to get me to heaven, he says, you know, God has you in his hands, and he's not going to lose anybody. And so when it's his job to get me to heaven, that allows me to be free to live. Yes. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do, if I'm going to trip up, if I'm going to forget, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do... That's not my problem. And as you mature in, in your Christian walk, I think you come to realize that more and more. Not that it allows me to sin. I could, mm-hmm. but I have the power to not sin. Yeah. And so everything I do, I try to do to the glory of God. I fail all the time. But that's 
that's at the heart of it. And so if there's something I want to tell people, yeah, if you're, if you're a Christian, remember, you're a Christian, you're saved, you're a child of God. Once you become a child of God, you can't be unborn. You are forever a child of God. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, the freedom in Christ, and that's what, that's what makes it worthwhile to tell others. Thank you, Art. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, one thing turned into a long time, sorry. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.